Hey there, it's Raleigh. I want to catch you before this episode to tell you about our new and improved bonus podcast, More Mercy. Each week, I break down a MercyCast episode and show how it not only intersects with Scripture, but how it impacts our daily lives. This short devotional episode is only $3 a month, which is like $4 less than a cup of coffee at the Mermaid Place. To access it, all you have to do is click the link in the show notes. Remember, no matter what you're going through, there's always more mercy. And now, on with the show. Welcome back to the Mercy Cast, where we're learning the art of compassion through the adversity of life. I'm your host, Raleigh Sadler. We have been talking about my journey on the Camino. And just like life, sometimes when you think you're through something, you're really not. You've reached the end and you're like, well, okay, great. Time to move forward. Time to move on to the next thing. But sometimes life doesn't work out like that. I arrived in Santiago de Compostela and I was excited. My pack even felt lighter. It was really a surreal experience. I came alone to the Camino and I walked into Santiago with friends, experiencing belonging like I haven't in years. It was so beautiful. We go to the square and we are looking at the cathedral. And we didn't really talk. We put down our packs and we just laid there until the moment was right to get up. As we got up, we went for our Compostela. This is the certificate that basically says that you did the thing. And we go and me and my friends, we get our Compostelas. But immediately after getting my Compostela, I'm not even kidding, immediately after getting it, I felt this deep, dark heaviness. Why am I feeling this heaviness? I just finished. What is going on? And it was like I was wearing a suit of armor or like a hundred pound vest and it, it just kept compressing me. It was really intense. And so I went back to my albergue and just kind of gave myself some space. And I started thinking about the scripture that came up over and over and over on my journey. And it was Jeremiah 6.16 where Jeremiah says, stand at the crossroads and look, ask for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is and walk in it, and there you will find rest for your souls. It really stuck out to me because where the good way is, Buen Camino, this, this theme just kept coming up over and over and over, and that's what I was looking for. I was looking for rest for my souls. And then my mind went to Jesus, where in the Jesus tradition, he says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In a sense, this is a fulfillment passage of Jeremiah 6.16. And it hit me. I'd carried some things with me all the way to Santiago de Compostela, and it was time to let them go. It was time to bury some things and to leave them behind. And I went to an Episcopal service that morning, really for two reasons. One, it's one of the only Protestant services in Santiago. And two, it was in English. And my Spanish, is, my Spanish isn't great. Let's just be honest. And so as I'm leaving the service, the pastor looks at me and says, Buen Camino, have a safe trip home. And I stopped and I was just overwhelmed. And I, I, I looked at this leader and said, I don't know what to do. It was a hard moment because I felt helpless. I, I felt like something in me had changed, but I didn't really know what it was. I didn't know what the next steps were. And at that point, I was challenged. You need to read the book Return from Camino by Alexander John Shia. What was funny was I already ordered it on Amazon, so it was on its way. And so today, I am really excited because I'm joined by 
Alexander John Chaya, who's the author of many books, including Return from Camino. He's a speaker and a pilgrim. He's been on several podcasts, including the Robcast with Rob Bell, and You Made It Weird with the comedian Pete Holmes. Alexander, welcome to the MercyCast. Thank you, Raleigh. It's, it's really an honor to be here. And I'm laughing because that Pete Holmes podcast is not for children's ears. Wildest podcast I've ever been part of. And did you talk about the Camino on this podcast? Um, that, that, he wanted to talk about my, my reshaping of the Gospels through the work of Joseph Campbell. So no, we didn't explicitly talk about the Camino on that cast. Well, and Joseph Campbell has really shaped your perspective on everything, including the Camino. Can you share a little bit of how he's influenced you? So I went to the University of Notre Dame, uh, South Bend, Indiana, early 1970s. I was on my way to seminary, which I went to after, after graduation. But the theology department brought Joseph Campbell every springtime to do an advanced seminar for those who were studying theology and especially hermeneutics and scripture work. And in two years of listening to Joseph Campbell, he spun my world because essentially he shared that across all the world, in every culture, in every tradition, across human history, the great stories of transformation have always been told as having four parts to them. And that started that four-part journey that he opened up for me in 1972 has been like the the huge portal to understanding so many things, including the four Gospels. And you would call this the quadratos or quadratas? Yeah, I eventually decided to put a name on my work, which is really in the main Christian tradition where Campbell's work is sort of world, world culture. And so I knew that I wanted something to do with four for the four parts or the four pads. So yeah. quad, and then ratos was simply a, a sounding of what felt like walking or movement. So, yeah. So the name for my organization is Quadratus. And it's interesting that you mentioned this idea of paths and walking and movement, because it seems to be a constant refrain in your life. It is. I really count it as a blessing most days. Some days I wish it were otherwise, but God doesn't seem to let me sit very long. No, and why do you think that is? I grew up with this idea of I would come to some place in life that would be restful, Mm -hmm. almost like retirement. Mm -hmm. But the the tremendous adventure of life just keeps pulling me forward. And I am so grateful that I keep growing. And even now in my seventies, I can say, I don't see retirement anywhere in my language. And so there's this constant state of progressing. You're moving forward. Even if there's sometimes where it feels a little slow, you're still saying, what's next? What does God have for me here? Absolutely. I mean, and for me, I think of it as a spiral. I'm going around and around, but always, I hope, deeper mm. or maybe higher or maybe deeper and higher. But the journey for me is a circle, but it never exactly repeats what happened before. Okay. So, the wow, that's really 
That's really powerful because I think for a lot of us, when we think about growth, we think about kind of leaving where we are and getting to the next place where we feel healthy, wealthy, and, and wise, healthy, wealthy, and strong. We want to get to that place so that we don't have to deal with our weaknesses. And what I've found in my life is sometimes your weaknesses are your strength. Sometimes they're the best part about you. And so as you talk about growth from the standpoint of this spiral where you go deeper and deeper and deeper, in a sense, into who you are, that's challenging because a lot of us want to, we kind of want to leave who we are so that we can be the next best version of ourselves. What would you say to us? I can only speak from my life, but I am so grateful for the deepening. Mm. Uh, I'm so grateful to know the sequence of the journey which keeps me away from utter terror and anxiety. I still have terror and anxiety, just not utter. Um, Because I know that when I hit those really, really, really painful moments, that it's just a necessary process to some large new opening. And that as I keep going around the journey, it just gets richer, deeper, more abundant, textured, um, for all the, the struggle, I wouldn't truly would, would not forsake it. And I think that's one thing that makes the Camino such a powerful and formative experience is because as one person told me as we were eating pulpo, you know, in Galicia and we're just having a conversation, his name was Holger and Holger looks at me and he says, Raleigh, we've been on the Camino many times. And one thing we've learned is it's a little life. That's what it is. Just like in life, you never know what's around the corner and you have to embrace it. That's the Camino. You don't know if you're going to finish this. You don't know what's going to happen, but be in the moment and be present. And it was so challenging. And I was so encouraged to see how in your book, Return from Camino, you talk about Joseph Campbell's influence there with his view of rite of passage And how so many pilgrimages and rites of passage are truly little lives. A a rite of passage is not about a destination. Mm. A rite of passage is about a life experience that teaches you how to face those same experiences over and over and over again, probably for the rest of your life. Unpack that a little bit more for me. You, You mentioned this idea of facing those experiences over and over. So for me, I really believe there is this four-part journey. Each one of us is going to walk it in our own unique way with our own unique content. But Campbell names those four parts as hearing the summons, facing trials and obstacles, receiving the gift, and bringing the gift back to ordinary life. And we're going to have those parts of our life over and over and over again. So the Camino or a a deep grief experience, there are many, many ways that we move through this pattern and we get to learn how I work with it. I get to learn how I receive or don't receive the summons. What's the stuffness? What's the, the thinking and the feeling states that help me go forward? What are the thinking and the feeling states that pull me back? I get to see how I face those really difficult moments on the Camino, the trials and the obstacles. I get to learn how I might even be able to ultimately receive those as gratitudes. 
and and I get to hear or, or to see how I received the gift. And my experience on the Camino is that oftentimes those gifts keeps getting given and I don't see them until finally I go, <laughs> it's God's been trying to give this to me for a long time and I just wasn't paying attention. But learning about how I don't pay attention and then how I do is a tremendous piece of wisdom. And then finally, how do I bring that gift back to my everyday life and learn how to use it? Because learning that I have the gift and learning how to use it are entirely different tasks. Mm, That is so good. And what's interesting, as you described those four stages, that's exactly how this series on the Camino breaks down. You know, it's the hearing the summons or the call to the Camino. Next, it's the trials and tribulations that you face. What was interesting for me was my third day. I thought I was, I was doing really well. And then all of a sudden, the things that I faced back home, the things that I was like, I went to the Camino to really process, they had followed me and kind of presented themselves to me in such a way where I'm like, I need to make a decision here. That's a hard decision. And in my case, it was everyone that I'd walked with up until that point said, well, you need to take this path. That's what we're all doing. And I'm like, but I, I've already committed to this path. And then I had one person tell me, he's like, well, you're going to miss out. You're going to miss out the, the whole point of the Camino you're missing because you're not taking the right path. And I remember that night I was frustrated because I was like, you don't know me. Who are you? <laughs> but... I, I woke up and this one person who I'd met the first day, his name was Luis, and such an insightful man. He looked at me and goes, hey, are you coming? Are you, are go- you going to do it? Because it was a beautiful path. It was actually easier than the other path. And I looked at him and I said, no, <laughs> I will not. And he goes, good. I'm like, good? And he's like, everyone must choose their own Camino. Absolutely. And for me... It was in that trial, in that test even, where I had to double down and say, this isn't anyone else's Camino, no matter how cool this is or no matter how great the story would be. My story is down another way and it was lonely. And I feel like so much of life can be like that. You choose things based on your integrity, based on who you are. And sometimes the crowds don't follow you. Mm -hmm. But it was on that trail that I connected with another traveler, Kiko, who I've done an episode with. And we had a very fast and close relationship. We were, it was like we were destined to meet on the trail. And the people that I met on that way, I, th- I do believe my life changed because of the people that I met. And I would have never met them had I taken the popular way. I get emotional when I talk about it because it's like I didn't want to take that way. And I feel like that's how life is sometimes. It's a tremendous lesson to learn that. And what's so beautiful about the Camino is is that we're all sort of basically walking on the same piece of ground. Mm -hmm. But the content and the choices are utterly unique. And my hope is that if we can learn that, we can learn how to walk more gently with each other. I can share what's going on with me, but I can't tell you what's going on with you. I Mm. can't tell you what your choice should be. That's so good. But it implies this idea of walking together. 
And I remember there was a moment where I'd walked with Kiko for several days and I was finally like, I loved it. But I was like, I felt in my gut that my choice was I needed to walk by myself. And so he went on his way. I went on mine. And my focus the whole time was just to be present. You know, I had my why. I think it's important to have our why that we bring into the Camino. But I think we can almost try to manufacture answers as we're doing it. When really the answer is be present, be open, and see what happens. And I think God in his own way will will kind of answer all those questions or at least start you on the path to finding the answer. But I remember I'm walking through the forest and something, I, I can't really describe it. I just felt more alive than I ever have in my entire life. And it was about five minutes, but it was the most rich feeling I think I'd ever had. And, and as soon as that ended, the doubts came. Well, this isn't real. This, and I'm like, no. <laughs> and one thing I would say to myself over and over and over I would say, I see you fear. Anytime fear would crop up, I'd be like, I see you fear. I'm walking with Jesus and Kiko. Like that was what I would say over and over and over. And in this moment, I'm like, no, I see you. You're fear. And you're not going to steal this joy. And then shortly after, I walked up on a stop sign and it just, someone had written, never at the top of it and walking at the bottom. And it's this idea that, and you've said this before, the way has no end, but our steps do. And you talk about... Not, not my words. That was a sign on the Camino, but see, <laughs> See? Yeah, it's the, the signs. The signs are so amazing because these are, are pilgrims in process. And they're just, they're working it out on the way. Like I saw people riding on rocks. I saw street art. I saw all sorts of things where you could tell people were trying to process in a public way. But in your book, you talk about how it's very easy for us to get fixated on the destination, but the whole point is the journey. And even the destination is not the end. It's a turnaround place. Could you tell us a little bit more? What does that mean, turnaround place? I will, but I also want to go back just a moment. Yeah, you said something that I, did, I would not want you or other people to miss. That moment, that those five minutes of joy followed by this fear and doubt or mm -hmm. whatever that experience was. Yeah. That's a universal. Is it? It is. And the strength of the fear and the doubt teaches the truth of those first five minutes. Oh, wow. And I would want people to know to expect that. I won't go into like where we find that in the Gospels, etc., but it is, it, is a, it is a spiritual or psychological truth that is in us. That when we have these unitive moments or, or these moments of, of infilling, what immediately follows that, and I don't know where it comes from, is something that tries to take it away or that tests us so that we'll take it deeper. Well, and that's, that was so my experience. And it's very helpful to understand that it is a universal because for me, I'd experienced something that was so beautiful and I couldn't really wrap my head around it. I just knew that I didn't want to leave it. It was like, I'm in this moment and I'm like, keep walking, keep doing what you're doing, keep breathing. And there'd be moments where, you know, doubt would start to creep in and I would just stop. I would close my eyes. I would listen to the birds chirping. I would feel the breeze on me and say, I'm here. I am on the Camino. And 
yeah, in that moment, I think the desire to not lose it challenged the the idea that I would lose it. If that makes sense. And so turn around. Yeah. Well, yeah, I want to get there, but so much of the Camino is about being present. And you talk about this in your book, and I think that's why I experienced that. And so for those of us who've been on a Camino and we come back, or those of us who are considering the Camino, or those of us who are just on our own way in life, what does it mean to be present? And how would you encourage us with that? I mean, truly, in some ways, the long or short days of walking are an invitation to mindfulness. Mm. And it may be easier because you are away from the usual, I assume, the usual pressures of home and bill paying and answering messages, etc. So you have this grace moment to be with yourself. But you'll learn how even being with yourself, you get pulled away from yourself. Mm-hmm. And then there'll be, I hope, those moments where you truly are with yourself in this moment. Perhaps those minutes in the forest. Yeah. And they become the opening to a way of being that you can bring home. It won't be easy to bring it home. But hopefully you, you've so touched the truth of something that you're willing to bring it into the hustle of life and not forsake it. Yes, absolutely. And I think in bringing it home, that's where we find ourselves on the other side of the turnaround place. You describe a turnaround place as the pilgrims of old, as they would go to their site that they were hoping to experience in a new way. The journey wasn't over when they got there. In the medieval times and before, they would, they would walk back. And this would be another months-long journey that was fraught with many things, you know, like they could have experienced a lot of things, but as they're walking back, they are processing what they experienced on the journey and what they experienced when they got to Santiago de Compostela. And so as we, as modern travelers and as modern pilgrims, experience the Camino or other pilgrimages, why is understanding it as a turnaround place important for us as we prepare to go home? I don't want to be overly dramatic, but to me, it is the core, core, core teaching because I have myself been in Santiago. I have walked to Santiago nine times. I have gone up from my village to be in the cathedral just to be there for the pilgrim mass. And I have looked around at the pilgrims and so many of them have this blank look on their face. Mm -hmm. And there is a uh, an uplifting inspiration to the liturgy, possibly. But for many pilgrims, they sit there after all the days, perhaps for some months of walking, mm-hmm. with a, is this all there is? Mm-hmm. Expecting that they were going to walk into the cathedral and all the answers of their life were going to be waiting for them there. The answers were out while they were walking. Yeah. And now you start the hardest part of the the Camino. It's not the physical exertion, but it's the coming back home to people who, in their wonderful desire to receive us, don't 
usually have any idea what we've just experienced. Yes. And most people want to hear the good vacation story. Right. Or the food tour or, or the humorous things that happened. And there'll be just a few people who really want to hear and walk with you in, in your deep learnings. And, it, and it's very lonely. Absolutely. Um, to come home with this, usually a glimmer of a new way of living, a new way of being, and not to have people who are willing to encourage you in doing that. It's more, what time do the kids need to be picked up from soccer practice and on and on and on and on. And that's all well and good. But the onrush of the everyday duties, necessary though they may be, have a way of immediately erasing everything yes. that happened as you walked. Yes. So one of the, the exercises that I talk about in the book, and I know that probably of all the things that I suggest in the book might be one of the most valuable is I ask people to sit before they leave Spain and write a letter to themselves about what they want to remember from all the lessons they learned as they walked. Because in Raleigh, you may have experienced it. I experienced it. As soon as I get to the Madrid airport and I step on that plane, the huge erasure begins to happen. Absolutely. And literally, I have had people just five or six weeks later call me up and say, thank God for that letter I wrote myself. Because mm -hmm. even now I've forgotten. As I was reading your book, I was challenged by that because I didn't exactly do that because, again, I didn't know that I was supposed to, but or I didn't know that it would be helpful, rather. But for me, as I'm sitting there, I'd, I kind of went through a little funk. You know, I, I talk about the chaos when coming back and then realizing that the things that used to serve me well before the Camino didn't serve me anymore, whether they be friendships, certain friendships. I, I had to really think through who are my true friends, where am I experiencing belonging, and what do I want to invest my time in? I had to start thinking through maybe the ways I watch TV aren't serving me. You know, all these things that were subtly challenged by this experience. And I kind of went through this funk where I just didn't know where I was, who I was, anything. I was just very confused. And some of the, my friends who were walking with me during that time, they're like, you okay? And I'm like, think, I don't know. I don't know how to even explain it. Um, I don't know how to explain what I'm experiencing. But after a little while, and it might have been a few months, but I went and finally got the courage to read over my journals that I took on the Camino. And I read over what I wrote before I left. And I mean, seriously, when you're packing your bag, you're given this keen insight on the baggage that we carry through life because you can only carry so much and function, you know? And it's like, so I'm like, well, I got to have 10% of my body weight. So I got to take this out and I know I need this, but do I really need this? It's a game of ounces now. Is this going to serve me or is this going to hurt me? Is carrying this beneficial or is it detrimental? And I'm reading this and I'm like, okay, so I was processing it. And then I was reading the things where I was like, what do I want to learn? Where do I want to grow? What do I need? And I was like, 
hmm, I think I was given insight on that. I think, and so it was starting. So I kind of did the assignment without doing it. You know, I was like, okay. But in reading those journals, I was brought back. And I was like, I don't know. It was, it was this beautiful place because I missed it so much. And I didn't know how to experience that here. And then I was like, okay, no, this happened. Regardless of what your doubts and fears say, this actually happened. It wasn't a dream. And so when we come back and we've, we've done our turnaround, how long does that usually take people to process? <laughs> um, Give I'm, me an exact time schedule. <laughs> I would say I, I did my first Camino, which was 50 days in the year 2012. I would say that that Camino sort of ended in 2017. Mm. Mm. It was four years before, for me, before the gift of that Camino felt like it had become part of my everyday life. As beautiful as that Compostela certificate is that you receive in Santiago, it also has a downside because it seems to say, you've done it, here it is, it's wrapped up, now go home. And really, it's just saying, oh, you've read the first half of the book. Yeah, because you're still on your way. You're still on your Camino. It has not ended. I, honestly, I don't know that my 2012 Camino will ever, quote-unquote, end. But I do know that about four years later, it felt like it had somewhat settled. That is incredible. And when you felt that it settled, what were you feeling? Like in your body, in your soul, like in your spirit, what were you feeling when you're like, okay, I think, I think this, is, this is done in a sense. In 2012, I had just published my big book with Harper. They had sent me all over everywhere for speaking and media, and I lost myself. I didn't know who Alexander was anymore. I knew who everybody was telling me I was supposed to be or what I was supposed to say. Yes. And I also knew that I was carrying way too much physical stuff. I was carrying way too much mental stuff, etc. And four years later, I rewrote the book in my voice, bought, bought the copyright back out of Harper and rewrote the book in my voice, sold my house, cleared out most of my belongings and furniture. Uh, and all of that was an outer and an inner response to what started in 2012. And so your Camino was changing you even when you didn't know that it was. Years later, you've grown and you wouldn't have grown had you not had that experience, that really pivotal experience. I mean, there might have been some other experience that would have come up that would have put me on that path as well. But um, the Camino really, for me, the Camino was exactly the right practice at the right moment. I was empty. I didn't know who I was. I even changed my name as I walked because I didn't want anybody to, to, to find out who, quote unquote, Alexander was because I didn't know who Alexander was anymore. Then I know people are Googling your name, uh, even on the Camino, et cetera. And I just wanted to be just, just a pilgrim, just walking. So I, I knew that I had lost myself. I didn't know until I came home 
and I walked into my house and I looked at everything that was there and I got very sad and I looked back at my little backpack and I got very happy. And that started a four-year process of selling the house. Yeah, I can see traces of that in my own life too, where you come back and you look around and nothing has changed, but everything is different because you've changed. What, what I often say to people is that you're going to have many experiences on the Camino, but you don't really change on the Camino. You have experiences that when you come home, you discover, oh, that used to bring me joy and it doesn't anymore. This is where the change happens when you start mm. making a whole series of small decisions about living in the way that you, that you awakened to or first experienced while you walked. The oh, people sorry. who have the experience and come home and sit back and wait for the magic to happen, it never happens. You've got to make those conscious intent choices to do things differently. And that's the hardest part because I think we want, I, I feel like a lot of people will go on a Camino because they want something to happen to them. But you repeatedly say in your book that it's the choices that we make as a result. You know, it's the Camino will show you who you are. It's like a mirror. When I talked about how certain things followed me there, fears, what have you, it was fascinating because I wasn't expecting it. But and it was so like overblown, like literally every person that I met on the Camino was like, why aren't you going? Don't be scared. Why aren't you going? Are you scared? Are you? I'm like, well, I'm not scared. Actually, I'm embracing the Camino now. I was scared like three days ago. I'm not going to lie. I was totally scared. But now I'm just ready for what it brings to me, good or bad. But the pressure and then out of that to say, okay, what's my decision? What do I want to do? And for me coming home, it was like, yeah. I've written a book, started an organization. All these are good things. And I'm consistently growing and I'm thankful for all those things. But now I'm asking the question, as I do these things, what's next? And some of the things that are coming up are, are really fascinating. You know, it's just little tiny flickers that I got on the Camino where I'm like, I don't want to think about that or I'll think about that later. And now they're, they're kind of coming out. And I'm just like, okay. And it's just through this processing and kind of teasing, teasing it out. One of the people that I met, his name was Jamie. He was from Scotland. He was a photojournalist who had spent time in South America and really experienced life. And as we were talking, I might've been taking notes or we were, we were having coffee because of course that's what you do when you're on the way, you know, you get your cafe con leche and you know, your role or what have you. And we're just sitting there and we're watching pilgrims walk by and he looks at me and he goes, Raleigh, I've done this before. And I said, yeah. And he goes, you might not find your answers on the trail and that's okay. That's really okay. Your answers come when you go home and you have to take what you experienced and kind of introduce it to your everyday life. And then when you realize that things don't fit, then you have to make a choice. What do I want? Do I want this or do I want that? One of the things for me that really got my attention was as soon as I got back, I was just in pain. Along the way, my back started hurting really bad. I've never really had back problems. And then I get back and go to a chiropractor. I think it made it worse. And I was just in pain for months. 
still sort of in pain, but I'm training now. I've gone to physical therapy, all that. And you talk about this idea of sacred wounds, how sometimes our pain isn't the worst thing for us. Can you explain that? Well, I tell the the story for me in 2012. Um, I uh, probably was feeling a little prideful. I walked 50 days. I carried my pack. I walked every step. There, there were some difficult days, but I had done it and uh, had very few blisters, a little bit of knee problem, but nothing compared to most what other people around me was experiencing. I got to the Madrid airport and I went to lift up my backpack to put it on the conveyor belt at the front desk and my shoulder popped. And I spent the next seven weeks in extreme pain, especially spent the next three days getting back to the States in utter pain. And, and then even with some adequate pain medicine, I was still in a great deal of discomfort. But for me, I realized that those seven weeks slowed me down in a way that I would never have if I had just kept on, kept on. And those seven weeks for me really gave me the time to contemplate the Camino and the lessons and what I wanted to do differently. Um. I hate to tell you, I still have some residual pain from that moment. It hasn't totally gone away, but most days I can not be mindful of it. Do you feel that the pain, in a sense, keeps you tethered to that experience? In part? Yeah, I think it's a reminder to me. Like even right now, it hurts. And I'm reminded that there's a beauty in that. There's something formative in our suffering that maybe purifies us, but brings us back to what truly matters. And ultimately, what really matters and what we've been talking about this whole episode and this whole series, what matters is the journey, not the destination. And that can sound cliche. I get it. But it's true. What happens on the path is what matters. One of my friends said this. She was experiencing Lyme's disease and almost died and was miraculously healed, has no trace of it in her system anymore. But I remember talking to her once when we were in college and I said, how are you? And she looked at me and she said, I've got a new perspective on mountaintop experiences. I said, okay, tell me. And she said, you know, you're walking through the valley, going up the mountain. The whole point is to get to the mountaintop. I'm like, yeah. She goes, I realized something. The only point that the mountaintop serves, the only reason it's there is so that you can look into the valley and see what happened. And I think so much of our journeys, whether it's our metaphorical journey through life or our actual way, our good way on the Camino, it's about what happens then and there. It's about the people that you meet. It's about the moments that you're present for. And I believe that can teach us a lot about life. We're so busy focusing on what's next or what's behind us to know that true life is experienced now. Alexander, what are a couple of pieces of encouragement or advice that you would give to people who are either preparing for a literal Camino or are walking their own Camino through life? One of the things that I found when I walked and was 
ask this every day. Why are you walking? Yeah. And it's for every, for the good intentions of people asking the question, it's not helpful. No. Uh, and I very quickly realized that it's not really a helpful question, but I, but I wanted to be kind. And so I took that as a, a moment to uh, do some creative storytelling, maybe even lie. Uh, I made up a story every day about why I was walking, knowing that none of it was the ultimate truth. But there, <laughs> that the deep reason and purpose of the walk would be revealed to me at some point. Yeah. And so my my first piece of advice is, if you if you hear the call, if you sense the call to come, follow it. Mm. But don't think that you have to have a reason that you know, quote unquote, why you're walking. That's so good. It will be revealed to you, and it might be long after you've come back home. See, this is helpful because when you Google and search about the Camino and how to prepare for it, a million people will say, know your why, know your why, know your why. And I'm like, oh, do I know my why good enough? Like, you know, it's like... These people seem to know their why really well. And my why is like six paragraphs. So I love that, how you're like, if it's calling to you, if it's beckoning to you, just go and it will be revealed. The other piece is what we've already talked about, Raleigh, and that is when you have those beautiful moments mm. in whatever way that they happen for you, I don't want you to create the doubt or anxiety that follows that moment, but not to be afraid when it happens. Mm. Um, it is pretty usual. It's really good. And the third piece is what you've already said so much, and that is walk your Camino. And for me, one of the hardest things was saying goodbye to good friends when I knew that I needed to walk at a different pace or a slightly different route than they. But it really is your Camino and you'll miss it if you aren't listening to what the holy and yourself have to tell you. And I think that's such an incredible lesson to end on because we can be so busy and we do the same in life, trying to have it look a certain way and not really just embracing what is. And I know in those final waning moments for me in Santiago de Compostela, I'm walking around with this heaviness that I talked about at the beginning. And, and I just feel in my gut, I was like, I'm walking this way, but I want to turn this way. And I was just, I was listening to my gut, like nobody's business. And I, I turned the other way. And all of a sudden I hear a familiar voice. I hear, Raleigh, <laughs> Raleigh. <laughs> and I look and my friend Vanessa from Colombia, and I didn't speak much Spanish. She didn't speak much English, but we spoke enough to be walking buddies throughout the thing. And it hit me. One of her friends showed up. She had her dog, who was appropriately named Pavlov. And I felt in that moment this sense of belonging. And by it, it almost shouldn't have been because it really didn't make sense. We could barely speak each other's language, but 
I think we, we felt like we were family. And had I just looked for what I expected, I would have missed the gift of the Camino and just being present with the people that I met along the way. And so speaking of gifts, your time has been a gift. And Alexander, thank you so much for joining me on the Mercy Cast. Raleigh, it, my delight. Truly, you've sort of given me my Camino back. I've loved every minute of this time. Thank you. If you are interested in more stories like this one, buy my book, Vulnerable Rethinking Human Trafficking. Also, if you want bonus content, you can click on the link in the show notes to access our new and improved weekly bonus podcast, More Mercy, where I dive deeper into each episode. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave MercyCast a five-star review. I want to hear from you. You can email me at info at mercycast.com. This podcast is brought to you by Let My People Go. To learn more about how you can love your most vulnerable neighbors through your own vulnerability, go to lmpg.org. Till next time, have mercy on yourselves and each other.